0: Hello and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon from lead pastor, Jamie Miller. All right, good morning everybody. If you would open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. We are in the third part of a series, I want to thank uh, Dr. Yancey Smith for preaching last week brought a great word. It was really encouraging and, uh, just hadn't made all of those connections to know just exactly how relevant Ruth really is to, uh, things we go through in our own culture, right? I mean, it really is kind of the, the gospel, you know, now, you know, that people can be the promise of inclusion. He could have called that, that message. We, you know, so just that God includes the outsider. And the people of God through Jesus Christ, and that's, that's all of us at one level, right? So praise the Lord. well hey, just a reminder here as we start uh, that you know we've been looking at this genealogy i 'll just mention the verses where the you know it starts off with this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of David, the son of Abraham, and in that in saying that there's there's uh, 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations, all the way down from, from Abraham to David, and from David through the kings and the exile to, uh, Jesus. And so, uh, you've got, we, on the first week, we looked at Tamar and Rahab, who Yancey mentioned in the communion time. Uh, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab there in verse five, verse six. Uh, second part of verse 5, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And then down in verse 6, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. That's what we're looking at today. And then down in verse 16, the other mention of the, the woman there is Mary, the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. In verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we are tracking the advent, the coming of Jesus through the lives of a number of women and uh, that are mentioned in the genealogy. And we were joking the first week, we thought God gave us this perfect advent series, um, four weeks for the four weeks of advent, and was in discipleship school. Uh, just before we started preaching the week before, and, and, uh, and uh, Marley Marley raised her hand and said, well, what about Tamar? And uh, I was like, oh, man. So anyway, we put two in the first week, but we're just looking at one this week. That, that was funnier to me than, uh, than it was to you guys. Uh, I, thought, I thought we had a really anointed... Four week advent thing, and it was less anointed, but it's actually been really fun I, I I've had a bunch of women coming to me and saying thank you for just honoring women in this in this series uh you know from people with tears in their eyes, like i've never was told that i 'm a co image bearer and uh, so you just don't know what is going on in people 's hearts and minds and and we need to continue and what what that tells me is we need to say this over and over and over again. It's like needing to hear that the Father loves you, because we leak, we're broken, you know, and then also because there's a lot of stuff that's happened to women down through the years that's just jacked up and wrong. I'm off my notes right now. I wrote a paper a couple of just. How am I doing on time? Uh, uh, I. I, I <laughs> That was a woman's voice. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, I wrote this paper, and one of the things uh, that, that I, I had discovered just in looking at some stuff on Wikipedia is that, you know, uh, Yancey and I often talk, like, it took the church 1,800 years to get slavery sort of right, like where we declared it illegal in the United States of America. You know, where people in England, William Wilberforce... And then uh and then and then uh with women, like I looked on this this wiki page and uh like the first woman to graduate from a college, from a university in the United States of America was in 1843. I, I didn't know that. I was like, that's just bizarre. And, uh, and, and there was rec it, it's it's records of all the states as they started giving women the right to co own, be on the, the deed with their husbands. Now, they couldn't they couldn't make a decision about the property, but they could be on the on the deed. And then over time, those liberties, those freedoms, those rights started being given. And so we're in a process here. We're on a journey and we want to just because everything wasn't perfectly right there doesn't mean that we can't keep working toward what is right. One day, the kingdom that's coming when everything will be right. And so that's why we have this vision. That's why we keep moving forward the way we do. And it's messy along the way. It's messy. Uh, God stepping into our mess just because it's you know help me stay on track. Uh, yeah, it's just messy. And and so God is the God of redemption. We saw that in the first week, last week. Again, really thankful for Yancey. I was reading through some of his notes. Uh, this past uh, week. In the last couple sentences, I would just want to read if you can flash those up. And he said, it makes me want to think twice before I count anyone out. Because he'd been talking about Ruth that he mentioned just a minute ago, who was a poor female immigrant outsider. And it makes me want to think twice before I count anyone out when it comes to kingdom work. There are no zeros in God's eyes. Every image bearer is indispensable. And it gives me hope that despite the fall, God's kingdom strategy is still unchanged. He is still in the business of forging potent kingdom alliances between his sons and daughters. Praise God. When he does that, the world will know that Jesus has come and that his kingdom is not of this world. For that to happen, we need a powerful gospel, and that is exactly what we have in the gospel uh, in the book of Ruth. So, Again, reminded just how much we all need each other. We together, male and female, are image bearers made in the image of God. And so today the promise is that of faithfulness, that God's faithful. And the main thing, I'll just put it in one soundbite, is that God is faithful even when we blow it. God is faithful even when we blow it. But he He wants us to keep coming to Him and aligning our lives to Him no matter what you've done, no matter how much you've messed up, blown it, there's hope and there's grace right now today. And what matters in the end is, are you turned toward Jesus? So turn toward this. Good news. Today's a day of hope. Turn toward Jesus today. Because this story really is in the Bible, in what we're about to talk about. It's really in there, and in our natural selves, we might write somebody off, who did this. But God didn't. He didn't write them off. And He included them in the genealogy of Jesus, the story of David and Bathsheba. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. And that's kind of highlighting the fact that she was married to another man. And so here's the promise. Back in 2 Samuel... Chapter Seven. We referred to this in the first week. Second Samuel Second uh, Samuel seven there's a couple of promises that are given, and it's about David's uh house and the kingdom and his throne. and in verse thirteen it says, "He is the one who will build a house for me and for my name, your son. I will establish the throne of his kingdom." and I will be his father, and he will be my son. Verse 16, your house and your kingdom will endure before me, and your throne will be established forever. Now that is that is the Davidic covenant. The promise that David is going to have a son who's going to be on the throne, and he's going to reign, and his kingdom is going to last forever. Pretty big promise, Right? And God is faithful to that promise, even when David is faithless to that promise. And it's good news. But David, and the reason we're talking about him, is that he kept turning to God. He repents. He turns to God. And so there's great hope for all of us. Now, when we come to this story, the story of David and Bathsheba, uh, we come with all of our uh, stuff. And there's so many issues that are raised in the story. It's kind of like a movie plot. It's got sex, violence, politics, uh, army battle scenes, gruesome, uh, murder, palace intrigue. Did I cover it all? I mean, that's, that's a bunch of it, right? What's that? Conspiracy theory? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I wonder... As I was working on this message, I wonder how many of us in this room have uh, issues in our own family that deal with sexual sin. You don't have to raise your hands. It might be everybody, but let's just say your parent, one of your parents, or maybe both of your parents were involved in sexual sin. Or your brother, or your sister, or your aunts, or uncles, nieces, nephews or yourself, grandparents, were involved in sexual sin. I wonder how many people that is. It's probably a bunch of us, right? And we can identify with it because we know the pain that sexual sin brings into our lives. And if you've been through it, 50% of Americans have, if you've been through the pain of divorce, then it brings all of these kind of crazy... I've been in a bunch of conversations this week where it brings crazy... uh decisions that should not have to be made by kids into, and it's, it's dysfunction that's brought about by sexual sin. So which parent are you going to choose? Which one are you going to live with? Stuff like that. That shouldn't be a, a, a child's decision. Somebody say amen. And, and so, you know I, know, I know I was talking with Kim and one of the things that came up with, she said, you know, when my dad got married to my stepmom, uh, I didn't trust her because she was an intern with my dad's engineering, where he worked in the engineering place. And and so I just thought, did she do something to make my dad leave my mom? And so that was something, she had to work through forgiveness and learn to trust her stepmom. You know, that's all, that's some of the kind of stuff that goes, goes with this. And the fact uh, that, we have all in this room also experienced different things in our own lives affects how we understand the story. So if something's been done to you or you've been wounded or had a sexual sin committed against you, or it's going to affect how you read the story, right? If you've done stuff, if you've uh, looked at someone and ended up there was seduction or all these different kinds of things, it's going to affect how you read the story. If you're a girl or if you're a guy, it's going to affect how you read the story. All of these different things. If you've ever had uh, multiple wives and concubines, it's going to... (laughs) Sorry, it was getting tense. (laughs) Felt like I needed to lighten it up a bit. So, you know... All of those things are going to affect us. I think in a Me Too kind of generation that we live in right now where, where there's just more perspective about things that women have to go through when there's an imbalance of power. You know, and that's certainly going on in this situation. We don't know everything that, we don't know the answer to all of our questions, but there's certainly an imbalance of power, right? So all of that's happening. That's why it's so key for us to read this story and the Bible, and our understanding about God through the lens of Jesus Christ and the cross. Because what that does is it's going to give us a different perspective than our own. We are so tempted in the fall to judge everything as if we were on the throne and knew the right answer to what's going on in David's heart and how he needs to be judged. To what's going on in Bathsheba's heart and how she needs to be judged. And if we can, and it's counterintuitive, back up. And see David and Bathsheba through Jesus and the cross, we're going to be telling a different story in the end. It's a story of redemption and healing. So all of that's all of that's going on there. God redeems a relationship that starts with brokenness and shame and guilt. And, and some of us already know that's true because it's happened in our own lives. He's redeemed us out of brokenness shame and guilt and got us on the path where we're walking in wholeness. And it's good news. I mean, and all this is in the Advent story, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Somebody say Amen. So 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 here's the story. Story, the response, and the trajectory. These three things we'll go through in the next few minutes here. The story. In Second Samuel chapter eleven, I'll just read a couple of verses and then just tell the rest of the story for the sake of time. But in the spring at the time when the king when kings go off to war David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah David remained but David remained in Jerusalem one evening when David got up from his bed and walked around the ro- on the roof of the palace he got up and walked around on the roof of the palace from the roof he saw a beautiful woman bathing the woman was Very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So, uh, David's up on the roof. He sees this woman, and he sends messengers to find out who she is. She's the daughter of Eliam, who was actually, uh, one of his, Eliam was one of his 30 mighty men, guys that had fought battles with him and stuff, but he obviously didn't know who his daughter was. So he sends messengers again to bring her to him. She comes to him, and they sleep together. She gets pregnant, and then David concocts a plan in his mind. I'm going to get her husband, Uriah, who's on the battlefield right now. I'm going to call him in, and he's going to come back. He can sleep with her, and everything will be fine. We can move on from this story. He gets Uriah back, tells Uriah, asks, how's it going? Fighting's going good. The battle's going good. We're doing well. Go and spend time with your wife. Uriah leaves, but he sleeps at the door of the palace. David asks him about it the next morning. Why are you doing that? Why are you sleeping there? You know, and he says, hey, the ark's out there. The the battle's going on. I can't be at my house with my wife while that battle's going on. And David says, come on in. And so he invites him in and he has dinner with him that night, gets him drunk. And again, he doesn't go out to, to his wife, but stays at the door of the palace. So then David sends a message with Uriah back to the battlefront. And he says to Joab, when the, when the fighting's intense, pull up to the front, leave Uriah there, and then pull back. And so that's what he did. Joab sends a message back to David. Look, this has happened, but before David gets mad, let him know that Uriah the Hittite has been killed. And so David says, sends a message back to Joab, hey, it's okay. And then, after a time of mourning, Bathsheba comes into David's household. He makes her his wife. She's pregnant. She's going to have this baby. Now, that's that's chapter 11. We'll, We'll get to 12 in just a second. But, you know, as I've been thinking about this chapter all week, one of the things that hit me is that David is on this rooftop because he's king and it affords him some special privileges where he can see down into the lives of other people. And what I've been thinking about is, all week is realizing, hey, you know, you don't have to be a king on a rooftop anymore to see down into the lives of other people. You know, with with the internet, with phones, iPads, and computers, you can literally look right down into the private lives of other people. And as broken making as that makes us, because it destroys our soul to look down into us, especially, let's just take sexual lives. Looking into the sexual lives of other people breaks our soul and hinders intimacy in our own personal lives. But I've but I've been I've been thinking about it even, it's not just that. That's, that's obvious and it breaks us. But I've also been thinking about it with regard to Facebook and Instagram. And it's not a do it, don't do it, but it is a. It is a reminder that it's like we're standing on the rooftop and we're looking down into the lives of other people in a way that, okay, maybe they shouldn't be showing us that much of their personal life, but are we looking down into it? If you've ever been like, you're, you're kind of going through somebody's pictures, anybody ever done this but me, I just and, I'm, and I'll be like eight, ten pictures in and going, what am, what am I doing? Like, I don't even know this person. And I'm looking at family pictures of them at Thanksgiving or whatever. And, and like, or I haven't seen them in 20 years, you know, and we're not like friends or anything, not really friends. We're friends, but we're not really friends. And I'm just like, and feel like, you know, you're doing that, and then suddenly I feel like I've crossed a line. I think it's God, you know, just like going, hey, get off the rooftop and stop. Satisfying your curiosity to look down into the lives, uh, the private lives of other people. So, so, um, that's, that, all that's going on there. That David was kind of somewhere where he didn't need to be, kind of not walking in his purpose. That's what Aiden and I were talking about the other day we were meeting, not walking in the purpose that God had for him. And it's when we pull back from purpose and get into a place we shouldn't be. Do we start doing things we shouldn't do? So all of that's happening there, and in the midst of this story, there's this huge imbalance of power. I want to just say something about that. David and Bathsheba—does she have a choice in this invitation from the messengers to come to the palace? Does she have a choice? And as Americans, we tend to think, "Hey, everybody's got a choice. It's free country, right?" Everybody's got a choice, but does everybody have a choice? Do we all have a choice when there's a huge imbalance of power? And that's kind of what came out during the Me Too stuff is, hey, that that's crossing a line. There's something going on that, that's not right. And, you know, our own experience, again, is going to affect how we hear this. And so we've got to keep trying to look through the lens of Jesus. I did a little straw poll with quite a number of people, uh, this week, asking guys and asking girls, what do you think about this story? What do you think about Bathsheba? You know, and I, I got, she was a victim. She, she was a victim. And like, I got, I'm not going to do it just girls and guys because it was on both 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 ways. Girl, It wasn't just one answer for girls and guys. And got, well, I think she was being provocative. I think she had plans for being in the palace one day. I don't know the answer. We don't know the answer. But she responds, but what if she didn't respond? Would, I mean, did the guys have swords? Would there have been reprisals against her? Would would there have been reprisals against her dad or her husband? I mean, obviously there were against her husband already. So all of that's going on. And it's so hard for us to step into this situation at one level, David had six wives that are mentioned in 2 Samuel 3. And then when he gets to Jerusalem in Second Samuel 5, he takes on many more wives and concubines. It's just a different, it's a different scenario, right? And we don't know what's going on in his head or even why it's just, it's just bad that he committed adultery but it's not already just wacky that He's got all these wives and concubines. God's intent for us is that one guy and one girl would be together. Not one guy and 18 women or you know whatever. It's like a... What do you call it when uh, when somebody uh, just lets you do something because it's where you're at and you haven't grown up to maturity yet? What's that word that's like acquiescing. It's like God's working. It's like God's working with David. It's got, he's working with the culture of the time. So all that's going on there. That's the story. And so then in 2 Samuel 12, Nathan comes to visit David. He's got Bathsheba as his wife. And Nathan comes to visit him. He says, hey, David, let me tell you a story. These two guys live in a certain town and one was a rich guy. And he had like sheep and cattle and got all kinds of stuff. He's got it going on. And there was this other guy and he just had one little ewe lamb, but he loved this little ewe lamb and he fed it and nursed it. And it even slept with him at night. And a traveler comes to visit the rich man. And instead of giving the the traveler something out of his own herds and cattle and sheep, he goes to the poor guy and takes the little poor guy's ewe lamb and slaughters that and then serves the traveler. David flips. He goes crazy. He says, that's wrong. The guy who did this is going to die. And Nathan looked at him, mic drop moment, and said, you are that man. You're the man. You're the man who did that. And talking about Bathsheba, said, look, the Lord has done all this stuff for you. He's blessed you in so many different ways. And you have broken God's heart by doing what you've done. And this is so wrong. And so David says, I've sinned, I've blown it, I've messed up. And that's, the, that's really the key answer. That's why we're still talking about David, as David said, I've sinned, I've blown it, I've messed up. And he confesses his sin. You know, confession, you guys, is agreeing with God. That's what it is. So you sense that conviction, and rather than going, no, that's not sin, say, Lord, I've sinned. That's sin. That's what confession is. David confesses his sin. He repents. He humbles himself. And ultimately, he does what God wants him to do. That's the way Paul describes David in Acts chapter 13. He says, David was a man after God's own heart because he did what God wanted him to do. And so that's what we want to do. We want to do what God wants us to do. We want to be that kind of we want to be those kinds of people. And there's so many implications and stuff that comes out of this story. The brokenness that impacts David's family for generations. Immediately, all the brokenness that, that happens with his sons and then the sons of the sons and all of that stuff. And it's, it's a mess. And we get it because we're human ourselves. We understand, wow, life is messy But that leads to the third piece of this is that David did actually turn to the Lord. He turned to the Lord. And the trajectory of our lives is absolutely huge. Where we're headed right now is huge. And you could have been in the church, been a Christian, you know, for for years and years. And it's like you cross the line. Let's imagine this is this is the church. And you cross that line. You said, I want to believe in Jesus. I want to be baptized. I want to follow Jesus. Years and years ago, but at the dead center of where we're going is Jesus Christ. And what matters is where we are headed. Where are you pointed right now? What is your trajectory? It's huge. It's just absolutely huge. So, I mean, I could be out there on the, out there on the edge and just going, I want to follow you, Jesus. Or I could have been following him for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, but I'm, I'm in there, but it's like I'm not really headed toward Jesus. And this is is a big deal because the gospel is that God came and met us in the midst of our junk, in the midst of our stuff, in the midst of all the sin and everything, and He brings grace. Grace to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. And now when we see David and his sin, and he's the one that's mentioned, not Bathsheba. So Bathsheba is never called out for her sin. David totally is. And when we see this, what we see is through the lens of the cross, God has unsurpassable value and love for David and for Bathsheba. And for every person we're ever going to see that's been in sexual sin. And if that's you, me, or anybody else, God loves us. And through the cross, He is saying, and even through what's going on in their lives after the repentance and everything, that you matter. And I'm bringing you right into the story of the coming of the Son of God. And so David is mentioned 53 times in the New Testament. The Psalms are quoted 109 times in the New Testament and alluded to almost 400 times in the New Testament. And you could say a big part of that is because David turned. David repented. Today it's murder, adultery, political intrigue. Maybe that's something that's happened in your life. Maybe it's like Jesus kind of redefines that stuff. It's lust. It's hatred. But it could be all kinds of stuff. It could be lying or greed or having power over someone Or making the wrong choice when you knew it was the wrong choice. You know, we've all done that stuff, and we let ourselves down. But praise God, the good news for us is that God is faithful to His covenant promise, even when we blow it. And I mean, here, here we are. We're thankful that we get to do this, even when we've blown it, when we've messed up. I'm thankful. You know? So stand up, and I want to, I just, I think there's a, I, I just want to go ahead and end there so we could have a little bit of response here. Because I think this is one of those messages just where, you know, if something's going on in our own lives, God being faithful to his promise means that there is forgiveness and it means that there's healing that can come into our lives. And so, regardless of how we experience woundedness, maybe it's the wounds of things that have happened to us in the past. Maybe it's the wounds of things that we've done to others and we regret it. But whatever that is, um, can we go ahead and get the ministry team to come on up as well? So, yeah so like in this story there's there's so many places for wounds to have happened and shame to have happened in a way that would would have hindered David from moving forward. You can read psalm fifty one and get a bit more of his heart and what's going on in his mind on the tail end of what happened with Bathsheba, but there's wounds there there's there's shame there, and it may be so if there's if that's for anybody today. I know maybe it can't fully happen healing right now in this moment but it can start and you know maybe you feel like you've been sidetracked from God's purpose for your life because of things that have happened in the past and I just want to say God used David, He used Bathsheba and He will use us so the key thing is man let's press into God let's say God thank you for the grace and the freedom that you give and bring that breakthrough in my life and any other kind of prayer needs you have, or if you just want to give your life to Jesus, come and get prayer today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Come on, let's go. Let's pray. If you need prayer, go ahead and come. Be bold. Wounds. Wounds from the past. Just want to get healing. Let's go, Jonathan.